I didn't know I was preaching tonight until last night. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? That's okay. <clears throat> it says, be ready in season and out, right? So I was out. <laughs> no, I, I was covered. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the outpouring of your spirit on this place. Lord, in the last few weeks, we've seen a, a magnificent flow of your spirit, Father God. We pray for that every morning, and we pray for it again tonight, Father God, that your word will go forth into this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to talk about the cup. Remember the cup in the garden? Jesus is saying, take this cup from me. And I've, I've often talked about it when I'm, when I'm teaching, what it, what it really meant. <clears throat> but as I, over the past few months, it really, it really was, was just so curious about that that I wanted to really get into it. So let's do Isaiah 54 first. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. You can be seated. The, I wanted to read that tonight because it says the God, Lord God has opened my ear. Because one of the things about the cup was it's a, it's a, it, what happened with Jesus was betrayal. He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, it talks about. And finally, he just takes the cup. And so I'm going to go through very quickly through Matthew, Mark, and Luke what he said to the disciples when he'd taken the cup. And this is uh, Matthew 26. He gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new and better covenant. This is the Amplified that I'm reading from. The new and better covenant, which ratifies the agreement as being poured out for many as a substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it with you in my new kingdom, my father's kingdom. Mark fourteen twenty three, And when he had taken the cup of wine and given thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant. My blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And 25 says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He keeps saying that over and over for a reason. We're going to go into that in a little bit. And, and I'm just, this is the last one in Luke at the Lord's Supper. He says in 18, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom comes. And on down to verse 20. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten and said, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant ratified in my blood. He doesn't say that lightly in every, every gospel. He's trying to, and of course, the, the disciples don't understand what's going on yet. They're saying, okay, great, it's a covenant, it's in your blood. They don't understand what's getting ready to happen to him. And part of the plan that God had for, for mankind was the Messiah was going to sacrifice himself. And the blood covenant, this covenant, is going to be the very last covenant that God makes with mankind. Very last covenant. 
and, and we'll try and we'll go into what why Jesus was so sorrowful for that in the garden. In Matthew 26, he says, 36-38, My soul is deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and stay awake with me. Watch with me. Why is he so sorrowful? Why is he almost dying? Why is he suffering so much? It isn't because he's going to get ready to go through pain. He knows what's going to happen. That's the reason he came. He knows what his sacrifice is supposed to be. And after going a little farther, he fell face down. He said, my father, if this is possible, this is consistent with your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but you will. And we know we've heard that so many times, but what does the cup really mean? Why, why that word, the cup? I went and looked at, at the word cup, and in, depending on the, on the uh, translation you go into, it's mentioned 71 times in the Bible. It so it's, it's something, if you think about it, a cup is something that you hold, something that you ingest. You take internally, you bring it into your body. That's what, that's what the cup holds. And so that's why they use that as, as a, uh, an allegory to say, this is your cup of judgment. He went away a second time and praying said, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Is he saying it because he's scared, because he doesn't want to know what's going on? No. And he says the same thing in Mark 14. Here's what I like in Luke when he's talking about it. He says, pray continually that you may not fall into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, which for us, that's, that's different with each one of us, how far we can throw a rock, right? And knelt down and prayed and said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup, this divine wrath. From me, yet not my will, but always yours. So throughout Scripture, we've seen the cup used as different things. In Psalm 16, it says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. My cup, he is all I need. You support my lot. Very positive. Psalm 23, we've all heard this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Another positive image in Psalm 116, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So what the cup represents is a gift, a judgment, and wrath. It's, it can be negative, too. In, the, in many of the prophetic works, it's, it's negative. Pouring out God's judgment on the nations. In Isaiah 51, 17, it excuse me, personifies Jerusalem as a woman who drained the cup of wrath to its dregs. Okay, this is the same cup we're talking about that just had all the blessings. So see, the cup is used to show the, the, the judgment of God, the, the will of God. Wake yourself up. Wake yourself up. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have drunk the cup of staggering and intoxication to the dregs and intoxication. That's you know, when, when Isaiah sees something like that, you say, okay, you've got to take this, this for serious, okay? So God takes pity on this city, and then he intervenes. And in verse 22, he says, So says your Lord, the Lord who is also your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Listen carefully. I have taken from your hand the cup of, the cup of staggering and intoxication, the cup of my wrath. You will never drink it again. So he's never going to come against Israel again. But now there's this judgment that Jesus is talking about in the garden 
And we see the different things of, of, of the symbol in the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ returns to the fundamental meaning of the cup as representative in his prayer, the cup symbolizes the pain, the degradation, the death that will be required of him. But more importantly, this is the last covenant that God's ever going to make with mankind. Very last covenant. And Jesus knows that. Without receiving this covenant, you, you are born for eternal damnation. And he knows that. Did he stand on the hill and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wings. You have to receive the cup or you're going to spend eternity in hell. He knows that. And that's going to, it's been described many ways. Eternity is a separation from Christ, a separation away from the love of Christ and God. But, but he knows that this is what's coming, and he knows this is why he's going to the cross. This is why he's going to be beaten. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be nailed to a cross and, and hung there in, in horrible pain for me and for you and for mankind and not just for the Jewish people, for the Gentiles too. And they don't even know that yet. That's coming later when Paul is given his, his uh, charge. So when, when someone says, well, I don't believe that mythology, it's really important that we, you know, we're not going to go and say, well, you don't know about the cup of Christ, do you? No, we're not going to go that way. We're going to say, let me tell you how my life changed. Let me show you how you can be different. Let me show you how you can be loving and caring and be peaceful. Because Christ said, my peace I leave with you. You know, one of the things that, that we talked about on Saturday, God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. And Kathy helped me understand this a little bit better. We were talking, we were, we were always talking back and forth. When he gives you a word, a word of direction, because he's omnipresent, he's already been there. In fact, he's still there. And so he's giving you the word to give you direction to go where he's already seeing. Does that make sense? So when he tells us, here's what I want you to do, our humanness gets in the way, and we say, yeah, but look, I can do it better. That's why he doesn't give us a, a, a five-year plan or a two-year plan or a one-week plan. He says, listen to what I'm telling you. What did Jesus always say? I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. That's important, as we talked about that in a little bit. That pain, that degradation, he had to go through that. Why? Christ becomes all the nations of the world, taking on their fate and drains the cup of wrath. Takes it all on himself. By drinking of the cup God placed before him, Christ transforms the cup of wrath into the cup of life. He took every bit of that for us. That's what the cup stood for. Is, is that eternal damnation. He's taken that for us. When he's on the cross, what, what does he say? Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes that whole psalm, by the way, on the cross. He only quotes what the, what the Holy Spirit told him to say and, and, and complains not. 
He says, this is what he, he went to the Father and said, take this away from me. This is, this is, this is horrible, what you're going to do for, for mankind. But I will do it. Mankind has to receive this. this. This transformation is foreshadowed at the Last Supper when the cup of the new covenant, like the cup of wrath, is for everyone to partake of. And, and we're all guilty, and, and me too. When we do communion a lot, and we do communion every morning at prayer, it's very easy to make that very ritualistic. Very easy to quote just Second Corinthians. Very easy just to say, this is a cup of the blood of Christ. We receive it. Thank you, Father. And I started realizing, I said, Lord, you poured out your blood, but you poured out your spirit. And that's what this is for, for me to reestablish myself, to understand that what you poured out was from, for me and for my family and for my kids and for my friends and for the people I haven't met yet. I have to explain that to them. I have to help them understand what's going to happen if they don't take this, if they don't receive this. Their life is going to be forfeit when, it, when they stand before the holy living God. He says, why didn't you receive my son? I want them to say, well, I know Mike said that, but I didn't believe him. I don't want them to say nobody told me, especially if I know them, especially if they're my neighbor, especially if I work with them. First thing I did was my new job. I made sure everybody knew I was a pastor at the church. So the four cups of the Passover are based on the promise God made to Israel when he sent Moses to deliver them from Egypt. Did you know that? There's four cups. It says, Therefore say to this is Exodus six, six through seven. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the first cup is called sanctification. I will bring you out from under the yoke. The second cup is blessing. I will free you from being slaves to them. The third cup is redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And the fourth cup is acceptance. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. It's an old study that I'd forgotten about a, lo- a long time ago in, in uh, Preaching 101, I guess, is where they first teach that. <laughs> but tradition says that when Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out, he was referring to the third cup of the, of, of the Passover, the cup of redemption. He's telling the disciples that at the, at the Last Supper. This is, this is my blood poured out for you. Now, we get to read the back of the book. Don't you know the, the disciples are sitting there at dinner? <clears throat> so this is my blood that's poured out for you. Going, I don't think so. <laughs> what do you mean by that? That doesn't make any sense. Because they haven't had the experience yet. They haven't watched him get flogged. They haven't watched him get on the cross. They haven't seen him resurrected and walk with him. Now they know later. But how much faith did it take to go, okay, it's your blood? They were fishermen. They weren't theologians. They didn't study with a Gamaliel. So they had to take it all by faith. 
by his shed blood, we can be redeemed from our bondage to sin, right? We know that. Just as the Israelites were redeemed from their bondage in Egypt, to slavery. We've been slaves to sin before we become, some of us more slaves than others, but I won't go there. And he wouldn't drink wine again until the kingdom had come. He said that, until the kingdom comes. The Gospel of John records this event. He's on the cross, and he's, he's knowing that everything's been completed. Everything's been completed. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. Remember that? We've, we've read that. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And, and Kathy and I were talking about this last night. He said, yeah, he needed that drink because he'd been hanging there for so long he couldn't talk anymore. But he said when he had received the drink, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That was the fourth cup of acceptance. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Isn't that cool? He had given his body, shed his blood, phase one of the kingdom, allowing us to receive a full pardon for our sins. Full pardon. We don't have to do anything. We just have to receive him as as our Savior, as our Messiah. We have to find a way during this time of anointing, during this outpouring of, re- of revival that we're going to see, that, that we have to find a way to, to express that to at least two people over the next six months. That's what Angela's talking about. To fulfill the scriptures, he took a final drink of wine. He, said, he told the disciples, I won't drink of wine until the kingdom's come. As soon as he was gone, the kingdom was here. It's as if he was saying to all who would believe him, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. So that really brings us to Pentecost. Now that I've gotten through all that, I can talk about what I wanted to talk about tonight. Because Pentecost, for Christians, Pentecost is a holiday we commemorate with the coming of the Holy Spirit. But the word Pentecost actually comes as a transliteration of of the Greek word Pentecostos, which means 50. It comes from the ancient Christian expression, Pentecostal Hymnator, which means the 50th day. And we probably, some of you probably heard that who've been to Bible college. But Christians did not invent the phrase the 50th day. They borrowed it from the Greek. The holiday was known as the Festival of Weeks, or more simply Weeks, Shavuot in Hebrew. Okay, you guys have heard that before, right? The name comes from the expression in Leviticus 23.16, which instructs people to count seven weeks from the end of Passover to the beginning of the next holiday. Exodus 23:16. But in time, it turned to a day to commemorate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Now remember that. This day became especially significant for Christians because seven weeks after the resurrection, Jesus poured out the Spirit in Pentecost. None of that's a coincidence. God had a plan from the very beginning of how this was going to work, how he was going to show the Jews, this is how these are the celebrations I want you to have. I'm going to say that again. This day became especially significant for Christians because seven weeks after the resurrection of Jesus, during the Jewish celebration of Shavuot, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out upon his first church, empowering them for their mission, gathering them together. Isn't that amazing? That when that happens, that's what actually happened at the day of Pentecost. 
was empowering the church all at once. Now, the disciples had seen, okay, now I know what he means by the blood. Now they're going to see, now I know what he means by the Spirit. And they didn't know that either. You know, like I said, we get to read the back of the book. We get to understand what happened with the mysteries. Those, those guys were just walking down the street going, okay, whatever, what's coming next? First he was dead, then he's alive. Now there's Holy Spirit. Now he's gone. Now what are we doing? Can you imagine what, just a normal fisherman guy, what's he doing walking down the street going, I'm just going to keep going. This is getting better and better, gooder and gooder, <laughs> to borrow that phrase from somebody. At some point during all of this, the, the Holy Spirit pours out. And, and I've, I've often laughed at this. Peter, being one of the more outspoken ones, and he's just a fisherman. And he got in trouble a few times. When Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. And they come to fulfill what, what they're supposed to do in the garden. And, and I love this, when, when they, they said, who, Jesus asked him, said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they all fell down. When he said, I am, it had to be the most powerful words they've ever heard in their life. <laughs> it blew them over. He said, oops, I didn't mean to say it quite that way. <laughs> I am holy, holy God. And, and so when, when, when the servant comes and he, he cuts his ear off, Jesus has to pick it up and put it back on. <laughs> and, the, and he'd already told him the night before, before the sun comes up, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Oh, that's never going to happen. And as soon as the third time happens, he, he walks away crying, as any of us would have. We'd have, we'd have walked away just going, I can't believe I did that. Oh, no. So I've, the, the spirit of Pentecost falls, the spirit of the Holy Spirit, and it's infilling the people, and 3,000 people, and they're going, what is going on here? And the people are hearing it in their own language, which I think is just interpretation. And Peter, this poor guy, stands up and gives one of the most incredible speeches you've ever heard in your life. You've ever read Joel. He starts quoting Joel. And he starts quoting all these things. I'm sure the other disciples are going, what happened to him? <laughs> because he, all of a sudden he's filled with, with this empowering that we all can have. We can all have that. And as we go further into this vision, as we go further into this, we have to have that. We have to have it together in unity. That's why they were all together. That's why they were in one accord. And as we get into that, we have to change our thinking, our revival thinking. Revelation on switching our thoughts. So when we get to that point where something comes up, there's a doubt. Quote the word. Pick pick your favorite one. Psalm 23. Psalm 103. Psalm 91. We did that one during the hurricanes. <laughs> Lord is my rock, yeah. And for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11 says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That verse has a real special meaning for me now. Because during the few months when I was praying and I was questioning, and I was, I'm not going to say angry, but I was angry at God. And I'd walk out in that field out there in the mornings, 6 o'clock in the morning, 
And as loud as I could say, I said, I don't understand why. Tell me why. Here's a man who showed me how many people have been healed. Showed me how to do it. Showed me how to walk, how to talk. And I, oh, probably four or five times. Randy, <laughs> I came in one time, he said, the neighbors can hear you. <laughs> and, and as I was walking in, the very last time I did that, that's the verse that came to me. Holy Spirit said, my thoughts are higher than, than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts can never be your thoughts. And I had to really, really pray about that. And then I understood it. it says, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven does not return there, but water the earth and make it for, come forth. And the water goes back up to come back down again, to water again. That's the way the Holy Spirit is, right? Waters us. We, put, we, we spread it. It goes back up and someone else is getting it. So shall my words be that goes from my mouth... It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. I read that a couple hundred times. I said, okay, I know how many times I heard that. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. And as I get that, that, that urge to make that happen, it says in Hebrews 4, For the word of God is living and more powerful than a two-edged sword. You know, And that sword... It talks about in, in, in the armor of God is our word coming out of our mouth. That's the sword. And it's the discerner of the thoughts. For what man knows that the things of God except the spirit of the man is in him? And so what, when revival is going to come to us, these things we speak not in words which are man's wisdom, but which the Holy Spirit impl- in, invokes on us. Revival is, and there's a song that we listened to. You heard it this morning, I think. Tomorrow is inside of you because the kingdom is inside of you already. Tomorrow already exists because of what's in you. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. We have the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is omnipresent. We believe He's omniscient. If we can have that conversation with the Holy Spirit that Angela was talking about, and I started doing that as I'm driving down the road, you know, and in this day and age it's okay because you can do that. You can talk while you're in the car and people think you're on the phone. <laughs> but you can have that conversation while you're driving. And you know it works. The Holy Spirit starts talking back. I was saying it at the men's group, you know, if you want to listen to uh, some really good gospel music, you turn it to 89.7. No, what? 89.3. You have to be tuned in to that station and you can't hear it. You've got to be tuned in to the Holy Spirit, just like in a radio station, so you can hear it. So once you're tuned in, guess what? He's always broadcasting, just like the radio station is. Always talking, always helping, always showing. That's important. That's important. In John 14, John 14 is one of my favorite Gospels. Uh, John, that's what we teach in the prison a lot is John 14, the whole, the whole book. But it said most, uh, 14, 12 through 14, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works that, than these he will do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, 
that I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And one of the points we made on Saturday was you can't ask for something that's not in his name and expect him to do it. Ask yourself, what is, what is in his name? What is in his word? It's, in, in <laughs> it's not a Cadillac or a Honda. <laughs> Larry had to bring it up that, no, we wouldn't want a, a, a Cadillac, but Honda Accords would, <laughs> would be what Jesus would use, right? Because they're all in one accord. <laughs> but that's not in Jesus' name. What are we asking for in Jesus' name? It has to be contained in his name, and his name is the book. The entire book. God the Father. So we ask according to what is written, he'll do it. If we ask according to our flesh, he didn't say, I, I didn't understand that. What did you say? One time I was praying over at, the, at Willowbrook early morning. And I was, uh, it was 6 o'clock and my righteous self, I said, Lord, why did you put up with the Israelites? Stiff-necked, didn't listen to people, just went their own way. And that quiet, that quiet voice said, "How are you so different?" I said, "Well, alrighty then. It's time for church. <laughs> I gotta go." <laughs> but that's the truth. Mankind is mankind, no matter where we are, what we're doing. A little while longer, and this is John 14 again. And the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. On that day, you will know that there's not long, there's no longer a Trinity. It's a it's a, a quartet because <laughs> I'm included in it now. See, that's how we work. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in in me. And you. And together it's us. See, that's the important part. Together it's the unity. When we're all in one accord, and I use that on purpose, things start to happen. We start to see some things happen. We're already seeing some growth in this church like we hadn't seen in a year in three weeks. Boom. People are showing up and going, yeah, we just driving by. I thought we'd stop in and see what's going on. So we got this big Holy Spirit net out there on the <laughs> on the road, is snagging people, bringing them in. And Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have just all become new in the last few months. We've all been through a grief time. We've been through a resurrection time. We've been through. A, a time of questioning and understanding. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want us sitting in the pew. Just, okay, did that, did that, did that. Okay, let's go to Luby's. Remember Luby's? No, he wants us to be active. And this is, I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians four thirteen through 15. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written... I believed, and therefore I spoke. That's probably the most important thing we've heard preached over the past few weeks. What we speak, what we say, the fruit of our lips, what Jonathan preached on Sunday. How important is that, that we believe and therefore we speak? What we speak shall come to pass, good or bad. Let's be careful. 
And I get in trouble quite frequently. Kathy reminds me. Said, you sure you want to say it that way? <sighs> I'm trying. I really am trying. But see how he's driving. <laughs> and I'm really trying hard not to, not to be that way anymore. But this, I believe, therefore I spoke. So when we want things to happen, we have to speak according to what, not our feelings, what it says in Jesus' word. In the name of Jesus. We can't say anything we want in this world and say in the name of Jesus. We have to say the things that are actually in the name of Jesus. That makes sense? Okay. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him because he can't know them. So we have to have some patience with people. We, have you ever talked to someone and they're going, I don't understand a word you're talking about? Sure, many times. Because that doesn't make any sense. Because they're not spiritual. They're not receiving the Spirit. So we've got to back up and treat them like children. How did we teach our children to do things? Well, we had to explain it in a simpler way. We can't just be pounding the pulpit and say, turn or burn. doesn't work. runs people off. But that's what we don't want. We want them to hear the Word and to come to the Word, right? For who has known the mind of the Lord that may He may instruct Him? Nobody. But we have... The mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Amen? How can how is that possible? Because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Father's in us, the the Son is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, and we can't make excuses why we can't have the mind of Christ. And that's what I want to leave you with. Have the mind of Christ. Believe what you speak and speak what you believe. Does that make sense? Thank you. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the outpouring of your spirit going forth from this place. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see such mighty miracles, Father. Such mighty miracles. And our outgrowth and, and, a, and a, a growth like we haven't seen in years here. And it's going to be in the name of Jesus that we do that, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to share one more thing. On, su- on Saturday, we had a really 